Um, I'm going to start off this morning a little bit different. I'm going to uh, read an excerpt from a memoir that uh, I just, it just, I just felt like I needed to write it a few weeks ago when I was on vacation with my family and not knowing what I was going to be preaching um, here, but it's, it's right and good that I, I read this uh, little excerpt from this memoir now about reality, carpentry, and the origins of reality. Early one morning in April of 2003, Britt Merrick and his wife Kate woke up at the exact same time and looked wide-eyed at each other. Almost in unison, they said, I think we're supposed to start a church in Carpinteria. They'd both grown up in the small beach town, but had been ministering to college kids in Santa Barbara for the last five years to the Friday night college ministry at Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. The college ministry was called Reality. On September 7, 2003, Britt and Kate, along with several others, led the first Reality Carpinteria gathering in an empty warehouse on 6th Street, a block off Linden, Carpinteria's small downtown strip. Business owners, blue-collar workers, families, surfers, skateboarders, and college kids all packed into the room that first Sunday, over 500 of them. It was immediately the largest church in the small town of 15,000, and every person in attendance sensed that something powerful was on the horizon. There was expectation in the air. What nobody anticipated, including Britt, Kate, and the whole original team, was what was to come. For me and my wife Emily, the origins of Reality Carpinteria are closely tied together. While reality was launching in September of 2003, 200 miles away in the small town of Ramona in the eastern hills of San Diego County, we were sensing that God would soon be calling us to leave where we were. We had heard about this small move of fresh, new, vibrant churches that were beginning to sprout up with young, passionate preachers and leaders all across Southern California. It seemed as if there was something new that God was doing, and we felt called to be a part of it. At the time, Emily and I were both working at a church in Ramona, and although the church was fairly large and established, we always felt like there was more, so we began to pray. Well, Emily began to pray. On the evening of September 7, 2003, we arrived at home after attending a church gathering near San Diego State, and Emily, both frustrated and expectant, said, I just need to pray. She grabbed her Bible, went into the bedroom, and shut the door. I grabbed the remote, sat on the couch, and turned on the TV. An hour later, we emerged, she emerged from the room almost glowing, smiling from ear to ear. I quickly turned off the TV and asked, what happened in there? <laughs> God just spoke to me, she said. What about? I asked. He told me we were supposed to move. Tell me, I said. I don't want to, she said. I want God to speak to you too. The next morning, as I was praying with my eyes closed, I saw the words Isaiah 42. I immediately sensed the peace of God and knew he was speaking to me. When I turned to Isaiah 42, my eyes immediately fell to the word coastlands. And then again, coastlands. As I continued to pray and read the chapter, it felt as if the words were jumping off the page as I sensed the spirit speaking to me. I'm starting a new work in the coastlands, Dominic, and I want you and Emily to be a part of it. I began to cry as I sensed a new work of God in our lives. Freaking out and excited, I went to Emily and said, Em, God just spoke to me. How, she asked, in the Bible. What book? Isaiah, her eyes got huge with anticipation. What chapter in Isaiah? (laughs) 42, I said. Coastlands, she whispered. (laughs) Shocked, I said, wait, what? Yes, how'd you know that? She opened her journal and showed it to me. The night before, she had written, September 7, 2003. Fear not, new, big things, coastlands, Isaiah 42. We hugged and laughed and danced and thanked God. 
He had finally spoken. And then it hit us. Wait a minute. Where the heck is the coastlands? (laughs) What we didn't know at the time was that 200 miles away on the exact same Sunday, September 7, 2003, a new work with God was beginning in this tiny little coastal town of Carpinteria. And that God had also spoken to them from Isaiah 42 about the new work he was going to do in the coastlands. Uh, If we haven't met, I'm Dominic Bally, and uh, for a lot of years, I was one of the pastors here and had the privilege of being able to help lead here and um, led worship most Sundays here. I'm now one of the leading pastors at Reality Ventura, and um, if you know us, I just want to say that Thank you for all of those years of, of pouring into us. Um, our, you've asked, uh, those I've seen already, you've asked about our family. Our kids are good and healthy. Our daughter, Selah, was born. Uh, we, came, we moved here when she was pregnant. My wife is pregnant with Selah. And um, Selah's 14 now. And uh, we have two others, Solomon, he's 11. And then Kingston, who most of you have probably never even seen. He's, he's five years old. And um, just out of curiosity, how many of you are, are new to Reality Carp? You've been here for less than a year. Just raise your hand high. Okay, a few of you guys. Yeah, welcome. Um, what about, keep your hand up. Uh, what about uh, over, over, over a year? You've been here for over a year. So probably everybody in the place, right? Almost. If you've been, keep your hand up. Everybody who's been a part of Reality Carp for over a year, keep your hand up high. All right, keep it up if over two years. All right, over three years, keep your hand up in the air. Been in Reality Carp over three years. How about over four years? How about over five years? Keep your hand up. How many of you were here and you remember when we launched Reality Ventura campus? Okay, cool. And how many of you have been here since like the first year of Reality Cart? Keep your hand up in the sky. Yeah, right on. Yeah, we can clap. I know some of you guys were like, yeah, let me clap. So good. Um, listen, Reality Ventura uh, is in maybe the healthiest place that it has ever been in. Um, just a little update. People are being saved. People are being healed. The truth and grace of Jesus is going out and tearing down lies and liberating people from things like shame. The love of the Father is being poured out in a special way in our midst right now, which is just honestly unraveling fear and reorienting people's lives. And the gifts and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit are very evident in what God is doing right now. And Reality Carp, you birthed that. You birthed that. Thank you for your labor. Three years ago, um, I went back on staff at Reality Ventura just as an interim guy to help transition Reality Ventura to becoming an autonomous church and to lead the charge and finding a guy who could come in and replace me as I was doing this interim thing and uh, had zero desire. Actually, I had like opposite of no desire. I had like disdain for the idea of staying permanently. And then about a year and a half ago, uh, in the span of about a day, the Lord just miraculously changed my heart and gave me a deep passion and love to be there long term. And so um, they asked me to stay a year and a half ago. And so I've been able to stay and, and helping lead what God is doing down there. And, and I know some of you are like, yeah, I saw that a long time ago, dude. That's cool that you saw that. I had no desire still to do that. Um, but I'm so humbled and thankful to be able to be there right now. But the truth is, everything good that I know about leading, I learned here at Reality Carpinteria and, and through you guys and through your leaders. Um, if I was to be totally honest, for the first 
year or two that I was there at Reality Ventura, anytime I needed to do anything, I would just stop and ask myself, wait a minute, what would Britt do? <laughs> so thank you, church. You have been a massive part of that. Um, I had been leading worship for a long time before I moved here and started leading at Reality Cart, but nobody had ever taught me anything about leading worship. Every, everything that anybody taught me about leading worship came from right here, from people like Britt. Um, I learned how to pray here, like really pray, not just talk to God, but I learned how to listen to God in prayer. And that was from many of you, many of the intercessors in our prayer meetings I hear here at this church. I, I learned how to pray from you guys. Um, my ability to, to listen and, and be led by and attentive to what the Spirit was doing radically grew in my time here. I learned how to pray for healing here. I, I learned how to deal with demons and how to help people be delivered from demons, which is something I didn't even know like, existed before I, I, I moved to, to Carpinteria. I radically grew in my time here. Emily and I learned how to love each other as husband and wife from watching marriages here. Reality Carp taught us that the, God, the presence of God and a moment in God's presence is honestly worth a lifetime of sermons or a life, you know, a, a, a full shelf of best-selling books or worship albums. We learn the powerful harmony of bringing spirit and truth together in everything that we did. We learned that ministry could be relational, something that sadly we had never seen before. We learned that there's a way to suffer biblically and rightly as we watched Britt and Kate suffer through everything with Daisy. Because of you and because of your leaders and your example and your participation, church, in the gospel and your faithfulness to follow Christ, Emily and I have a deep well to draw upon in this season. And that is your heritage. These things that I just spoke of is your heritage. And for some of you, you feel really deeply connected to that because you've been here for 5, 10, or 15 years. But even for the person or the people who have only been here for five weeks, this is still your heritage. Your heritage comes from a family of churches and a family of believers that have a good heritage. And so thank you. As was illustrated in that little portion of that memoir that I read, God began a good work in you and he will be faithful to complete it until the day that Jesus returns. Amen? Amen. So that was my really lengthy introduction. But now we're, we're going to finish up a little mini-series from the book of Acts called Lessons from Ephesus. The title of this sermon is Faithful to the End. You can turn to Acts chapter 20. Or f- swipe to Acts chapter 20 if you've got some kind of technology you're using. We're going to look at the second half of Acts 20. Um, which means we're skipping the first half of Acts 20. Next week, you'll look at the first half. We wanted to keep all the Ephesus stuff together. So I'll be reading and preaching from the NASB today. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. From Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there 
except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions await me. Verse 24, but I do not consider my life as any account is dear to myself so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, you I'm sorry, from, and from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remembering that day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these, that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you by working hard is the manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken to them that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, um, for every good thing that you have done in and through this, your church, these individuals and Reality Carp as a congregation. Thank you for involving us in your work, Lord. It's yours. It's an honor to be involved in it. We say you're faithful, Lord. You are a faithful God. Today we remember some of that faithfulness just like Paul did, and, but we don't get caught up in the past. We press on in the call. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us both hearts of gratitude and hearts of expectancy today. We ask that you would open our ears to hear everything that the Spirit is saying to us, both on a personal and corporate level. And church, before I finish praying here, if you are willing and wanting to just hear from the Lord today, then maybe just put a palm or two palms facing up as if you're receiving something from God and just repeat after me. Say, my ears are open. My heart is open. My mind is open. My life is open. That's it. Your will would be done. We want to hear what you have to say to us, to your church. I surrender my lips and my thoughts, my notes, my plans to you. Come and speak, Lord. This is your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul first went to Ephesus, you might remember back in Acts 18, most scholars believe it was the beginning of AD 53. And he's there for a little bit and then he leaves and then he comes back at the end of that year, AD 53, at the, uh, in Acts 19 we see it. And then he, 
At that point, he ministers for the next two years solid. He said in the text, like, for three years I was doing this because from the beginning of when he showed up to Ephesus to when he leaves, it's a three-year stint, which was a really, really, really long time for Paul. Most scholars believe the longest of any of the stints that he stayed anywhere. And so Paul is invested in these people. And now he's on his way to Jerusalem, hoping to get there before Pentecost. But as he's on his way, he stops in this town called Miletus, which is about 80 miles from Ephesus. And there he pauses to call for the elders of the church in Ephesus to come and speak with him. It was necessary for him to do this because he's moving on to something. As he says, I might not see you again. This might be the end. And so he's there with them wanting to do three things. He's wanting to remember with them all that God has done. He's wanting to encourage them and warn them. And he is wanting to, he himself, commit to now from that place, moving forward and continuing to press on in the work and the call of God. And so there's, like I said, there's three parts to this encounter with these elders. There is a reflection, there is an exhortation, and there is an intention. And I believe, church, that God is wanting to speak to us in the same way today, to, that we would look back for a reflection for a bit, that he would provide us with an exhortation and even a warning as we look forward. And he would give us an intention as we move forward, which is why I started uh, reading that memoir because the, like the, oldest, or the old novelist and poet James Baldwin said, know from whence you came. If you know whence you came, there are absolutely no limitations to where you can go. We say it these days like this. You can't really know where you're going until you know where you've been. So first, a reflection. We see it in verses 18 through 21. A reflection of what God has done. Paul begins to reflect in verse 18. We, we, we see him speaking to this intimate relationship there, this deep relationship that had been formed. In verse 19, we see him speaking to the ministry and this emotion and the trials and the suffering of what happened in Ephesus. In verses 20 and 21, he, he speaks to the, the preaching that was occurring, the teaching that was occurring, the evangelizing, people are being saved, the discipling, the training. Paul now is closing up a chapter of his life here. And like I said, most believe that this, this stint was longer than anywhere else. And so he's invested and he wants to pause and reflect and take stock of some of what God has done. He is remembering God's faithfulness. But he is also remembering that he himself gave everything that he had. And though they may not see him again, he is reminding these elders that their time together was worthwhile. It was rich and it was fruitful in the kingdom of God and in eternity. In reality, Carp, you need to know today as a church that God has been faithful. God has been faithful and you have labored well. And you have labored well, and your labor has not been in vain. And today is a good time to pause and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for involving us in your work. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for you, what you have done through the church. Thank you for what you have done in our individual lives. Psalm 103 instructs us to, to pause and praise and remember, he says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all of his benefits. Praise and remember. I'll never forget um, the first time we came to 
a reality gathering. It was exactly 15 years ago this month. We had borrowed an RV from a friend and had committed to just driving up the coast of California, stopping in every coastal city, hoping that God would tell us what the heck he meant by coastlands. And along the way, we had arranged to stop at a couple churches and ministries that we knew of to see if maybe something connected there. And one of them uh, was the Reality Friday Night college group that was happening at Calvary Santa Barbara. And then the very new um, Reality Carp Sunday church gatherings. uh, Reality Carp was about four months old at that time. And we had never seen anything like it. You know, I grew up in church, but hundreds of people were packing into these overcapacity rooms. People were standing People were sitting on the floor. There was different ethnicities. I think there's two black folks in CARP. They were both here. There were surfers. There was geeks, graduate students, grandparents, people dressed nice, people in board shorts with no shoes. And as the services began, both times, Friday and Sunday, I remember feeling something that I had never felt before. There was something in the air. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it was weighty. And it felt like, peace and it felt like life and it felt like light and it felt like hope and it felt like joy and it felt like power it was so thick you could almost you could almost feel it and I had never experienced anything like it I had no clue what it was I just knew that that it was good we had seen Brit preach a few times at some youth workers conferences that we used to go to and uh, always appreciated his, you know, very vulnerable and like, but like right on preaching style and ministry style. So at first I thought, oh, it's just this dude, Brit. Maybe I'm just in the presence of greatness, but that wasn't it because it was happening during the singing as well. And then I thought, oh, maybe it's the worship and it was, it was good, but I had been around musical worship that was just as good. Maybe it was the love of the people, but that wasn't it. Or the desire for them to really get the gospel out. I thought, nah, but there's lots of churches who do that. Maybe it was how central Jesus was. That was kind of a newer thing to me. Maybe it was the prayer meetings. Or their, their desire to really be led by the Spirit. Sadly, in all the places I had been, it, nobody was praying every week. People in the church weren't gathering to pray every week and, and, and it didn't seem like they were really like inviting the spirit to lead. But it wasn't the preaching and it wasn't the musical worship or the people or the mission or being Christocentric or the prayer meetings or being spirit led. It wasn't even the fact that all the lights were turned off during worship, which at the time was like the coolest, edgiest thing that any church had ever done that I had been to. All of those things would eventually make up the fabric of our DNA. But what I was experiencing that day was simply the presence of God. It was God manifesting his presence. In all the church gatherings and camps and retreats, I had ever gone to and Emily had ever gone to, we had never experienced the manifest presence of God. Or if we had, we certainly hadn't experienced it also being married with this like commitment to orthodoxy and scripture. Years later, a friend, a missionary friend from Tanzania would put it into words for us when he saw this prophetic vision for Reality Carp. And it was a sailboat and there was a big old sail on this thing. And then there was this really strong rudder and he saw on the sail, it said, spirit, and he saw the rudder and it said, truth, the, the sail, the spirit 
is what would propel us forward and give us the power, but the rudder would keep us straight and on course, and both were to work in tandem, and we're working in tandem, and both were of utmost importance. Britt would eventually coin this phrase that he would often remind us of, and he'd say, the presence of God is the best thing we've got going for us. Because it is the presence of God where there is healing, right? It's in his presence where there is salvation comes, right? It's in the presence of God where you can have joy in the face of sorrow. In the presence of God is where you begin to experience peace that surpasses understanding and circumstances. It's the presence of God where there begins to be wholeness from brokenness. That's where you begin to see your eyes open to the truth and you begin to experience grace and power and true deep rest and finally some resolve when everything feels like chaos. It's the presence of God. I've heard Britt say it dozens of times. We prayed it earlier. Tyler prayed it earlier when we were over there. One moment in the presence of God can answer a lifetime of questions. And sadly, because of in the church, our kind of like resistance of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, we don't experience the presence of God because the Holy Spirit is how God manifests his presence. And so we're like, I don't want to do your plans. I got my plans. Or I don't want your gifts. We got our own stuff. He's like, okay, like I guess I'm out here, right? And so we don't get to experience the presence of God because again, the presence, the spirit of God is how God manifests his presence. Paul here is reminding the guys in Ephesus, hey, this is what God did. This is how stuff started. This is the foundation of who you are as a church reality carp. What God began here, don't forget it. Don't forget that you are a church, you are a people who make space for God to come and be God. For God to come and manifest his presence because Jesus actually is the senior pastor. This is his church. And so what people need is not better preaching or good music or more money. What people need is to be in the presence of God because that's where the life is, right? That's where the life is. And it is from that where everything else must flow. There's been a, what I would call this like uh, restorative anointing on Reality Cart for a lot of years where people come just like tired from their lives or needing just healing or restoration in some way in their life. And they come and they just sit here and God begins to, to heal them. It's, it's nothing that anybody has done. It's not because Britt and Bo and Travis and the guys are good preachers or because there's been great worship leaders here, even because we're really loving. That's not it. It's because people come and they sit in the presence of God and God begins to heal them. After our little baby Nehemiah died four years ago, we came and we sat here for months and God began to do that restorative work in us. But guys, that is the presence of God. It's because people come and sit in the presence of God. And like I said, that is where everything must start from God himself, from his presence. That is the source. And that is where the mission flows from. And that is where the vision flows from. It's all from him. When this thing started, we didn't know what the vision was. We didn't know. We didn't know anything. We thought. We thought maybe we knew. I remember a few weeks into us like praying about this uh, coastlands thing, trying to figure it out. I'd heard there was a church that started up and there's a little town I'd never heard of. I I thought it was uh, Carpeteria. And uh, got a hold of Britt, who I just briefly met in passing. And I was like, dude, I heard you guys started a church. What's the vision, man? And without hesitating, Britt said, it's the youth of Carpinteria. 
And I was like, oh, that's how you say it, Carpinteria. This is the youth of Carpinteria, dude. It's the youth. We're going to do everything we can, expose and lead the youth to Jesus. And in the coming months, uh, that was exactly what we set out to do. We turned this space right here before there was walls here into the skate park, right? There's full-blown half pipes in here. And we were like, oh, this is what God is doing. It's the youth of Carpinteria. That was the big picture, we thought. We had no intentions and certainly no inclination that there would ever be anything beyond the youth of Carpinteria, certainly not beyond the city of Carpinteria. But a man's heart and men's hearts plan their way, but God directs the steps, right? We soon realized that it was broader than our hearts and it was bigger than Carpinteria. God began to make it very clear that there was a call on this church to intentionally and methodically begin to birth other churches in strategic locations around the country and eventually the world. And he began to make it very clear that there was going to be dozens of people who would be raised up here like Jill, who would be called to the nations. God had a plan for equipping and sending. God had a plan to make reality carpinteria and equipping and sending church. He had a plan for the work to go beyond carp and the coastlands. We thought reality carp, and I know some people sometimes wish that it had just been a, a little small town, little church, but God had this like global thing in mind for whatever reason. And that is a very unique thing, church. That is a very unique and rare thing for a local church to have that kind of call on them specifically. Like everybody should be involved in that to some level, but to have like that as the primary, like this is what God's calling us to do. And like this is our like highest values and where where we're really investing all of our time and resources and energy, like that is a rare, rare thing. That is a special thing that you are a part of here to equip Christians to go out into their contexts locally and globally. Church, that's your heritage and you are anointed to do this work. Today, we look back to the Lord and we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done and thank you for involving us. Like Isaiah 42 said, when it talks about the coastlines, it says, and then the Lord will go forth like a warrior and he will prevail against his enemies. And he has surely done that. I resonate with Paul's reflection here as I think about reality in verses 19 to 21, where he says, of serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials. Reality, Carp, you have experienced seasons of great gain and seasons of great loss. And yet, like Paul says, I did not and you did not shrink from declaring Anything that was profitable and teaching publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying, he says, to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would then write to the Corinthians, and when I came, I didn't come with eloquent speech, but in demonstration of the power of the Spirit. And this is your heritage too, reality. Bringing truth in the power of the Spirit. Bringing uh, uh, truth uh, as truth and spirit work together in harmony with one another. This is part of your heritage. Reality, don't forget who you are and the call that God has placed on you. A reflection. Secondly, Paul gives an exhortation in verses 28 through 32. And really, it's a, it's a warning. See, Paul cares about these people, right? He's, he's spent years with them and God has done a really good work there. He's begun something good. But anytime God is at work, listen, anytime God is at work, the devil is on the prowl. 
Anytime God is at work, the devil is on the prowl and he will use whatever and whoever he can, including our own flesh, to destroy us and to destroy what God is doing. So Paul warns these guys in verse 28, so be on guard. It could be translated, keep watch. Keep watch over who? Well, first of all, keep watch over yourselves. This first exhortation is watch yourself. Watch yourself. That is, guard yourself from the flesh, from feeding the flesh. Guard yourself from things like materialism. Guard yourself from false doctrine when it comes in. Guard yourself from lies. Guard your, he- uh, your heart from allowing anything or anyone else to crawl up on that throne where Jesus belongs. Guard your mind from taking in anything other than what is true, lovely, right, pure, and praiseworthy. Watch out for the little compromises, I would say, which surely will lead to the bigger ones. Watch out when you find yourself lazy, sitting for hours, hours and hours on Instagram and Facebook and Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime. The enemy rarely does something so obvious as send a hooker to somebody's door to call them into sexual immorality. It starts with the subtle things, the subtle compromises of letting your eyes linger a little bit too long on that girl in the skimpy bathing suit on your Instagram feed. The devil rarely will send an old boyfriend to send a text to you out of the blue. No, he's gonna gonna like a picture that you post on your feed, making you feel important and validated and valued. Keep watch over yourselves. And keep watch over each other. Watch yourself and watch out for each other, in verse 29 says. Guys, this is the body. This is a body of Christ. That means family. Bible calls us brothers and sisters. All the fellas say, I'm a brother. brother. That was not all the fellas. (laughs) All the fellas say, I'm a brother. brother. Okay, all all the ladies say, I'm a sister. Okay, now, if you're a brother, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm your brother. If you're a sister, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm your sister. Listen, we live in this dangerously individualistic society where nobody is welcome in any other people's business because, oh, it's not my place. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Paul says it right here. Watch out for each other. Because you want to know why? You may be a hand in the body of Christ, but that person sitting next to you, they may be an arm. And you know what happens when an arm isn't working or it's just gone and you're a hand? Let me show you. It's like this, right? Like you just can't, like what are you going to do, right? We are to look out for one another. That means their business is your business. Turn to your neighbor and say, my business is your business. Woo, you said it. You said it, church. My business is your business because we are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We are a body connected to one another. So when you're hurting, I'm hurting. When you're broken, I'm broken. When you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. So watch out for one another. He tells these elders from Ephesus, keep watch over yourselves. Keep watch over each other. Next he says, verse 29, watch out 
for wolves. Watch out for yourself, watch out for each other, and watch out for wolves. Because he says savage wolves will come in from the outside, right? And they will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also, verse 30, they will come from among yourselves. We know that the enemy is out there. But he wants to come in here, not just in this building, but into our lives. And he will come from without and he will come from within. Matthew 7, Jesus said that false prophets will come as wolves, but they will come as wolves in sheep's clothing. That means that they're going to look like sheep. They're going to look like Christians. They're going to know the right words to say. They're going to know the right things to pray. They're going to know how to act in a moral way. They will have an appearance of godliness. But you know, uh, but you won't even maybe know that they're actually um, lacking the power and denying the power of God. So how do we watch out? How do we watch out? I could be a whole sermon on this. I'm just going to say one way. We look at their fruit. We look for their fruit. The Bible tells us not to judge one another, but we can judge and we should judge fruit. And what kind of fruit should they have? At the base, Paul says, everything in the body of Christ should be done from the the motivation and with the end goal of one thing, love. And Jesus said, all the law, you can hang it on this one thing, love. So I ask, are they bearing the fruit of love? Or are they bearing the fruit of condemnation and shame? Are they bearing the fruit of fear? Are they bearing the fruit of divisiveness? Are they bearing fruit of pride and arrogance, of gossip and slander, of divisions? Are they bearing fruit of criticism and complaining? Do they put on people and on, on yeah, they put on people a yoke of the bondage of the law? Do they take advantage of Christian liberty and encourage others to do the same? Watch out for such people. They may be wolves. There may be rather wolves who will come from the outside. Some looking obviously like wolves. Those are easy. It's like, oh, you're a wolf, man. But some (laughs) will come looking like wolves in sheep's clothing. And then the attack will also come from within, Paul says. There may be wolves coming from the outside, yes, but Paul says it will also come from within. The devil attacks from the outside in, but if he has the opportunity, he would prefer to attack from the inside out. He will even use our own weakness and flesh as the tool to our own demise. He will plant a thought in someone's minds when they are in a moment of vulnerability or weakness or exhaustion or loneliness or sorrow, and he will capitalize on that weakness and begin to poison them from the inside out. And as much as wolves may come in from time to time disguised as sheep, how many of us know that also the devil likes to show up masquerading, it says in the NIV, I love that, masquerading like with a mask as an angel of light, disguising himself as an angel of light. No, 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 no. This is fine, man. This is, this is, I think this thing that's happening right here is just the Lord. No, no, no. It's just the Lord. Beware. The enemy disguising himself as an angel of light, thinking, no, maybe this is from God. Beware of compromises disguised as, no, it's not a big deal. It's no big deal. Beware of religious activity and words that lack love. Beware of legalism disguised as holiness. Beware of the lie that God wants us to be comfortable, safe, and secure primarily. No, he doesn't. God wants us to follow him. 
And sometimes following him lets you be comfortable, but a lot of times it doesn't let you be comfortable, safe, or secure by human standards. Beware of being responsible because being responsible can be the enemy of taking radical steps of obedience and walking by faith. Being responsible can often be the enemy of living generously and giving generously to kingdom people and kingdom work. God doesn't invite us to be responsible. God invites us to follow him. Now, we need to be good stewards, okay? Don't get all trippy on me like, no, no, Bible says good steward. No, no, no. But so often we use the, I'm just being responsible, if I would have been responsible, then I wouldn't have taken my pregnant wife with no health insurance, no money in the bank, no job offer, and no house to move to when he called us to Carpinteria. The responsible thing was to stay there where I had a job and a house and a paycheck and health insurance through the church I was working at. God doesn't always call us to be responsible. He calls us to follow him. And sometimes that means it's going to look a little bit irresponsible. And beware of licentiousness disguised as liberty. For freedom you have been set free. But do not, Galatians 5 says, use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. Some people here today, listen, you're drinking way too much, way too often. You're using alcohol to medicate. You're using food maybe to medicate. You're using prescription drugs to medicate. Some of you are using work to medicate even good ministry stuff to medicate. Listen, Jesus says, I'm your balm. I am your remedy. He's inviting you to a better way today. Some of you are being sexually immoral in your relationship and you're like, but we're married in our hearts. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. You're ruining your life. God is inviting you to a better way. Some of you are addicted to your smartphone. Oh yeah, I said it addicted to your smartphone. Listen, if you can't live without something for three days, you're addicted. And the Bible says, don't be a slave to anything. Listen, for freedom, you've been set free. Jesus has set you free. And if you've been set free, then you're free indeed. So if you're living like a slave, you're not living how, how Christ died for you to live. You are not a slave. So start living free. Some of you were a slave to things like tobacco and pornography. And that... And maybe even coffee. <laughs> Listen, you're not a slave. Stop living like a slave. Today you can be free. You don't have to be a slave. You don't have to be a slave. And don't abuse either on the other side the freedom that we have in Christ by taking advantage of the grace of God. Today God would lovingly, with a smile on his face, call us to repent. That means turn around and turn toward him. The times of refreshing May come, And it doesn't matter how far from intimacy you are right now, friend. It is just one step back to Jesus today. Today can be that day. The enemy wants to rob what God has begun in and through you, reality cart. So watch out for yourselves. Watch out for each other. And watch out for the work of the enemy from without and from within. Lastly, we see in Paul's words, an intention. An intention in verse 24. A reflection, an exhortation, and an intention. He says, this is my aim in verse 24. In other words, this is my goal. This is what I am shooting for. This is what I intend to do. And this is not a word to the church in Ephesus. This is a word to himself. This is a word about him. This is Paul's aim. 
to finish the course, to complete the task that God gave him, to be faithful to the end. He would say this to this guy named Archippus, Archippus, Archippus in Colossians 4. See to it that you complete the ministry that you received from the Lord. See to it that you complete the ministry that you receive from the Lord. Reality Carpinteria, see to it that you complete the ministry that you received from the Lord. Church, listen, every single one of you have been given a calling from God. We all have a general calling, right? That is to every single one of us preach the gospel, make disciples, build up the body, care for the poor, do the work of the ministry, heal the sick, drive out demons, basically everything Jesus did. That is our general calling. But then there are personal, specific callings through which that general calling is fulfilled. And every single one of you have one. And you may not know it because God didn't like knock you off a horse on the road to Damascus like he did Paul and speak to you or like he did me, spoke to me so profoundly when I was 18 and giving me this music calling by which for the first part of my adult life, this general calling would be fulfilled. But listen, for these last couple of years when God said, and now Dom, I'm giving him this specific pastoral calling. God didn't speak in some crazy way. He just changed my heart. He just, cause he has got control of my heart, right? Like the king, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord, like the river of water. However, God wants to direct it. He directs it. God directs our hearts and puts passion in our heart. You may have not have a, had a revelation from God like I had about my music or like Paul had about the Gentiles or like Brit and Kate had about Carpinteria. However, there are heart things in every single one of you. There are passions that are in you that are uniquely placed there by God. You may have some love for a specific geographic uh, location or ethnic group or demographic. You may have some passion for a certain career field and you may just think, nah, nah, nah. That's just the way I'm wired. Dang right, it's the way you're wired. And who wires you? God wired you like that. God put that there. God gave us all this general calling of helping people to know the grace, love, and truth of Jesus. But he wants to fulfill it through very specific ways, through the way that he has wired you. And some of you God did speak to. And you've ignored it maybe for a long time. But you need to remember that word today. Remember that prayer that someone prayed over you that felt prophetic in nature and was like, whoa, that was God. Remember that dream your grandma had that felt like, dang, that was divine. Remember that. Don't forget that. If God's calling you to let some things rest right now, okay, cool, that's awesome. But if he's not, stop waiting and pursue that. Here's the deal, church. God has done great things. And you have labored hard. You have fought the good fight. You have run the race with endurance. You have had seasons of joy and seasons of sorrow, seasons of vitality and seasons of exhaustion, seasons full of life. And seasons where it felt like you couldn't see anything but death. Reality, you have worked hard. You have fought well. You have run the race with endurance. But the race is not over. The fight is not finished. And the work is not done. Some of you guys are old. You're wondering, why am I still here? Because it's not over yet. You may feel like your prime has come and gone. And it could be tempting to feel like as a church, like the prime of Reality Carp has come and gone. You've done a lot in 15 years, more than a lot of churches get to do in 50 or 100 years. 
But this is not the end of the book. This is just the end of the chapter. Because in the kingdom of God and in his economy, he doesn't need people or even churches who feel strong or young enough or grown up enough or brave enough in order to manifest his power and presence and accomplish his purpose through them. In fact, he prefers to use weak things and weak people. That's why he used stuttering Moses to lead a few million Hebrews out of Egypt, right? That's why he used this wild card named Peter to lead the entire early church movement, That's why he used a murderer like Paul to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. That's why he used a prostitute like Abraham and an old man like, uh, I'm sorry, a prostitute like Rahab, an old man like, (laughs) an old man like Abraham, a doubter like his wife Sarah, and a dead man like Lazarus. God loves to use broken people to make beautiful things. God is not done with you, church not as individuals and not as a body. If you've still got breath in your lungs, then God still has a plan for your life. Let me say it again. If you've still got breath in your lungs, then God still has a plan for your life. And that's what I'm here to tell you today. I'm not here to tell you to run the race. You already run the race. I'm here to tell you to finish the race and to be faithful to the end. If you've gotten lazy in your pursuit of God and the things of God. He's not mad at you. He loves you. But he's in the garage working while you're sitting on the couch on your Xbox. And he's saying, hey, son. Hey, daughter. I'm doing good stuff in here. I'm building something. I'm inviting you to come. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. Come get back into the garage. It's time to strip off and let go and put away everything that is holding you back from running the race with endurance. Because notice what Paul says, and I'll end with this. The enemy of running the race is counting this life worth something. The enemy of being faithful to the end is seeing this world as a treasure. Verse 24, right? He says, I do not consider my life as dear to myself. That is, as something to treasure, as most valuable, as something to hold on to. And why? Why is he aiming to not hold on to his life and the things of this life? So that for the purpose of finishing. In other words, the reason for not counting his life as dear to himself is for the purpose of being able to finish the ministry that God gave him, which means that the opposite is also true for Paul. If he counts his life as dear to himself, then he will not be able to finish the course and the ministry that God gave him. Hear me, you cannot fulfill the calling of God while also treasuring the things of this world. Jesus said it like this, you can't serve God and money. You can't embrace the comforts of this world and fulfill the calling of God at the same time. So listen, let us then lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. It's not all sin, but it is all encumbrance. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Friends, you weren't designed to find pleasure in the things of this world, and so you never will. You were designed for something better, somewhere better, and someone better. God has begun a good work in you. God has begun a good work in you, and he will be faithful to complete it, and he is not finished. If you've gotten off course today, then today's the day that you lovingly respond to that loving call to get back on course. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you that you love us deeply. The truth is, there is no greater joy than walking into the garage with you and participating in what you are building. That's what you designed us to do, to be sons and daughters who are joining in with our father in the work that he's doing. But Lord, some of us have gotten a little bit off track. And I believe you're calling us just back. So we say as a church, Lord, if we just have forgotten it all, we just say, Lord, yeah, you're not done. Maybe a first chapter closed, but man, you got a lot of other chapters to write. But as individuals today, Lord, um, we say search our hearts, oh God. See if there's any off way in there. Before we go into this song, um, I just, I feel like God is just inviting some of you so lovingly to say, hey, would you take a, take a step toward me? You've been maybe very distracted. Maybe you've gotten off course a bit. Maybe you've been tied up in a lot of, maybe it's religious stuff. It looks very good, but it's, it's not fostering relationship with me. Maybe you've taken your freedom in Christ too far and you've just been making excuses like, no, I got freedom in Christ, but you know it's doing nothing good for your life and your relationship with him. Or maybe you've just been lazy. You've just been like distracted and, and lazy to pursue what God's called you to do. I think there might be a person in here who's been a little bit like Jonah where you've just been resisting something that God's doing in your life. Or maybe it's just small little compromises. You know what they are. They're eventually gonna lead to death though. Believe that God is calling us to just respond and, and say, yeah, Lord, I, you're right. I, that's, not, that's not the life you have for me. I don't want to waste. I don't want to waste it, Lord. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste a moment. And today he says, cool, take a step toward me. I'm here. Let's go. I'm here with open arms. If that's you today, I just want to ask that you would stand right now. I just want to pray for you real quick before we sing this song. If there's anybody in here who feels like I've just gotten a little off course, go ahead and stand up right now. Yeah, I see you. You've been maybe a little lazy, just wandering a little bit. Go ahead and stand up. You've been taking your Christian freedom too far. Go ahead and stand up. You've been resisting the call of God and the voice of God. Go ahead and stand up right now. I want to pray for you. You've been giving over to those small little compromises that are like, I don't know if it's sin. It's just like a, a thing, but you know, you see the trajectory of it. If that's you, go ahead and stand up. I want to pray for you. Hmm. If you're standing, 
Go ahead and just put your, your hands out in front of you with your palms facing up as if you were simultaneously letting go of something and receiving something. Know this. God smiles today when he looks at you. No matter how you have performed or not performed, he smiles when he looks at you because Jesus performed perfectly on the cross, which means that what God has in his heart towards you is love and compassion and grace and expectation. So as your hands are out, just in your heart, just receive his loving call. And say, you can just whisper it if you want. Just say something like this in your heart. I turn away from everything that's not of you. And I turn back to you. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the power to resist the flesh and pursue you. I want my life to be about you. I want to be with you. I don't want anything between us. Here I am, Lord. I return to you and the things you're doing in my life. As we sing this song, I would invite you standing or anybody who wasn't standing, just come to the carpets. Tell you this. When you humble yourself by taking a physical posture of humility, your, your heart will begin to follow. When you humble yourself in a position of praise, every time we see in the, the Old Testament, the word worship is this word shaka. It always means to bow down in reverence to God, literally on, the, on your face, flat down, face in the ground. That's why the carpets are here because this is how we see people worshiping in the Old Testament. Come and worship God with your body. As you, as you lead in your body, your heart, your mind will begin to follow. Either way, allow this time to just be a conversation with God. He is, he's smiling. He loves you today.